Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. To celebration this morning again, and we're going to do things a little bit different. Um, obviously, we're sitting down and we're inviting you into our living room this morning. So, um, if you can just picture that with us, we're we're really wanting to bring you in. And it, the next four weeks is going to look a little bit different every week, uh, but today we're inviting you into our living room, and we want to share. Um, some practical truths, some personal truths, personal experiences, and personal stories. How many of you like personal stories? Uh, but we want to give you Jesus in the middle of this. This isn't just about us sharing stories and, and talking about how to enrich your relationships, but we want to give you Jesus. We want you to be able to put on Christ in your relationship and understand what that looks like. And so our scripture for this series is found in 1 Peter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab those in 1 Peter 4. And uh, verse 8 says this in the NIV. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And so that's the deep love. Love each other deeply. The Passion Translation, I love what it says. It says, above all. Everybody say above all. Above all. That's powerful. Above all. Constantly echo God's intense love for one another, for love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. I think that's such a powerful, I love that, that we are to echo God's love. If you think about the love of God that you've been shown, think about the multitude of sins, think about the account of sins that was against you in the, in the books of heaven. You were, you were guilty of sin and you were going to be judged because of that sin, but because God so loved that he gave his only son. Think about that, that the, the account that was against you was overlooked, not because we deserved it, but because Christ paid the price, because God loved. That's powerful. Multitude of sin, that's powerful. So the NIV, that, that word love deeply, the NIV says it love deeply. The passion we read it says echo God's intense love. The SV says, love earnestly. I love that. To love each other earnestly. The NASB says, have fervent love. And the contemporary English version says, to show sincere love. So what does it mean to love? We're talking about all this. You know, we, we have these concepts, these ideas of love. What does it look like practically when your spouse or someone that you're interacting with just really rubs you the wrong way or you're under pressure, you know, you're in the pressure cooker of life, you're trying to get your kids off to school and go to work, do all the things, and then out of the blue while you're trying to do all of that, your wife or your husband says something that just is out of sorts and doesn't fit your agenda for that, all those kinds of things. What does it mean? What does it look like? The Bible tells us that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. To love, our, to love our spouse, to love others as we love ourselves. So, so there's this understanding that loving others, to love deeply, means that we also have to love ourselves, to understand who we are, how God's created us to be, to appreciate the handiwork of God in our own lives. Ephesians 2.10 is one of my favorite verses. It says that we are God's handiwork. We are his masterpiece. That word poema, that we are his masterpiece. It's like a... Um, I've talked about this before, but it's kind of like a stained glass window. Anybody love stained glass windows? Being in New Orleans, we, we, there were stained glass windows everywhere. You know, and then we went to Paris this week, and we were seeing some of the old buildings, the old churches and all. We went in uh, to Sacre Coeur, where it's a you know, beautiful church, stained glass. You know, we're taking pictures of the stained glass windows because they're just so beautiful. And, and that's what that's all about. We are God's masterpiece. He brings all, even in the brokenness, you know, those broken pieces, he brings them all together and makes this beautiful painting, this beautiful work of art with our lives. And so as you look around at, at your spouse or those you interact with, they are God's masterpiece. And then the words that we say and the interactions that we have, the behaviors that we have can either shatter that or add a light to it. Right. You know, you can be the radiance of God that shines through the masterpiece of God in someone else. Or your words can 
actually destroy and bring death, the Bible says. So we're to love our neighbors. And I love, I love the other verse in scripture that I'm thinking of at the moment. It says, may the Lord increase your love towards one another. Wow. Not only are we to love fervently, but we're to allow God to increase our love towards one another. When's the last time you prayed, God increased my love towards that person that absolutely you cannot stand? <laughs> You would, you would rather show them five-fold ministry than, than to love them, right? You would, you would rather attack or lash out. You know what I'm saying? But God says to increase. Lord, increase my love to those who aggravate me. And uh, Jesus said to even pray for those who spitefully use you. You know, so we're, we're allowing God to increase. So this verse, 1 Peter 4, 8, is packed full. And we're going to unpack that over the next couple of weeks. But... Above all, make this a priority. Make being here a priority. That's what the verse says. Above all, love deeply. So being here, make it a priority. Bring others, make it a priority. Make asking God to increase your love a priority. That word deeply in the Greek means to be fervent without ceasing. And the, the, you know, the word picture here in the Greek is that it's fully stretched out. You're creating a canopy, stretching out the love of God in your life, you know, sometimes love being stretched out doesn't feel so good, <laughs> right? How many of you have ever been in a situation where you felt your love being stretched? Lengthen those cords, strengthen those stakes, Isaiah said, and you feel the love of God in your life increasing, being stretched. Maybe you're stepping into a situation with your spouse and you can feel that love being increased. Our, uh, our relationship, some of you know the, some of the stories about us. Not everybody knows all of our stories, so we'll share some stories. But our, our marriage wasn't, well, our relationship wasn't always quite so harmonious. <laughs> um, when we first started dating, I'll let you tell that story because I always tell it so you can tell it. <laughs> Okay, so when we first started dating, it was very, um, when we first met, it was very awkward. The very first night that we met, Zach came to a Sunday night service, and I was the young adult pastor, and so it was my job to meet all the new young adults. So he, to this day, says that I was curly my hair, and you know, it's so nice to meet you, but, um, but that's how it began. Someone texted me recently and said, when did you actually start liking him? And I was like, well, the first day that I met him, I knew. The first day I met him, I knew. But I don't think I actually liked him for six months. And he might not have liked me for the first year. So it was just very awkward in the roles that we were in within our relationship from the very beginning. And so we rubbed each other the wrong way. He actually, at one point, he came on staff with us, and I was one of his um, bosses, um, which how many of you know that can in and of itself be awkward? Can you imagine? So I'll never forget this one day. He has this particular job to do, and he just wants to do it well to impress me and to help me but he goes way above and beyond and does absolutely what was not asked or expected just because he wanted to bless me and so guess what happened I wrote him up <laughs> she just wanted to get even it didn't go so well so the funny thing was how many of you know when you first meet like you know your boyfriend's um, family normally they hear all the really good stuff about you right I was going into it knowing they'd heard all the bad stuff. Because we had rubbed each other the wrong way so much that everyone knew. And it was so bad that at one point, the pastor that was over both of us pulled us in his office and said, you two better figure this out. Because if you don't figure it out, one of you's got to go. And then he looked at me and said, it ain't her because she's been here longer. <laughs> So that day, it was so funny. So that, so that the conviction of the Holy Ghost comes. How many of you know when that comes and you're in the middle of relationship turmoil, you're like, go away. And the Holy Ghost came that day and, and he pinpointed it. He said, y'all, 
um, have this conflict because you can't share your love. You can't share your feelings with one another. And he said, you're the biggest culprit. And so I had to, we went outside and, and I told him that that's what it was and that we needed to start talking about what this thing was between us. He told me I was nuts. <laughs> you're so full of yourself. I didn't say that. Maybe, maybe so. <laughs> But that began the long road of us learning how to communicate. Now, I'll tell you, the parts that she left out about that is that... that, (laughs) Probably a lot of parts. (laughs) She gave you the short version. But but when I went to our pastor who was over us in in that season, after he had the hammer meeting, come to Jesus meeting with us, I said, okay, well, I think I like her. And that was the first of the conversation... Of, of this, and I'll never forget, he looked at me, and he, he chuckled, and he said, well, she's a beast that needs to be tamed. <laughs> so, we, we uh, the reason I say that is not to poke fun, because we both have opposite, extreme opposite personalities. <laughs> Uh, if you didn't know that already, um, our way of doing things is very different. How we interact is very different. How we, uh, everything that we do is very different. So that's really where we're headed today in our first series, first uh, message of this series is personality, is that everybody has a different personality. Now, husbands and wives don't start elbowing each other and saying, oh, you have a different personality, all right? We want to take a look a little bit at those personalities, what that means, because God created you with those personalities. God made you with the personality that you have. Personalities can be seen through our behaviors, how you interact, how you interact with one another, how you interact with uh, other people. Your behaviors are observable. We can see those. And so we know how someone's personality is based on the... uh, behaviors that we see. You can look through scripture and take a look at some of the players in scripture and you can start piecing together what some of their personalities are. That's for sure. Personalities are God-given. Secondly, I've already said that. Personalities are God-given. God designed you in your in the DNA of who you are, what motivates you, your your personality style, how you behave, your, all those things are within your DNA. It's how God made you. It's in this internal roadmap of how you're created. Now, that's not an excuse to say, well, I'm just hot-headed because I'm Irish. No, that's not what that means. It means that there might be a tendency on the inside of you to, to be more direct, very driven, and passionate. You know, our son is very passionate about everything that he does. But <laughs> that doesn't mean that you don't discipline that and nurture and mature in that. Personalities are predictable. Because I know your personality style and how you interact, how you behave, there's some predictability to that. Have you ever been around someone and they did something you're like, oh, I knew you were going to say that? Or, or you could have finished how they were going to respond before they ever responded? Because when you're around people, you learn how their, their styles are and how they interact and how they show up in life. And so you can predict those things and begin to understand those. Personalities have strengths. You know, Heather is, is very driven and, and, and very uh, strong personality. I tend to be uh, very detail-driven. My, I'm all about systems and details, and everything's going to be accurate. And so there's, there's differences. There's strengths in that. They're different. There's strengths in that. There's also shadow sides to that. You know, one of the tendency of someone like me who is very detail-driven, I can get stuck in the details and say, let's not make a decision. I need to have, you know, we need to research this 100 times before we ever make a decision. Well, we need to figure out what's the best carpet cleaner to get for the house because we have a dog. Let's go through and research every brand and every da-na-na-na-na-na-na. All the while, she might be saying as a very dominant personality, just buy a stupid carpet cleaner and get the stains out, you know? Hallelujah. (laughs) Right? Okay. So the other thing about personality behaviors is that they can be changed. Um, 
I see some of you with your pens and notepad out, which is great. So if you have a pen, just grab something. If you have a pen or a piece of paper or offering envelope there in front of you, just grab something that's in front of you if you can. If not, just humor me and act like you're doing it. Demonstrate, you know, just, just help me out. Grab, grab a pen or a piece of paper or something there nearby. Don't make it too complicated. I'm not going to give you any notes. Well, I am going to give you notes to take, but not in the moment. I just want you to practice something with me. Some of you may have done this on your own at different times, but just sign your name with your dominant hand. If you're right-handed, sign your name. If you're left-handed, sign your name. You know, whatever your dominant side is, just do it. Some of you already know where this is going. Now switch hands. Do it with your less, less dominant. Have you ever done that before? Maybe some of you are trying to do it right now. It's hard, right? So our personalities are what's natural to us. Our personality style is what comes natural to us. It doesn't mean that we can't do it the other way. It's just more natural to do it one way versus the other. But you can learn to do it the other way. It just might be a little uncomfortable, right? You know, there are times uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not a people person. Matter of fact, I'd rather just be in the background. I never, I, you know, I don't want to be in front talking. I, I'm not this kind of person. So, I mean, you know, you know, I don't like chit-chat, socializing. All those kinds of things are really challenging for me. But there are times in my life, obviously very clearly at the present moment, where I have to be more of a people person. I have to exert some extra energy and be more outgoing. This is case in point. And so I recognize that, and I have to change, I have to modify my behavior and, and allow God to work in that. Um, so all of us have those, have those moments. Do you, I, I know you're bursting to say something. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, I'll say that off of what Zach was saying is the same thing with his personality and mine, whereas he would like to be in the background, and he's gonna, it's going to be easy for him to just kind of shy away from things. Where I'm on the flip side where I've always got something to say. I've always got, and it's not um, necessarily a negative thing. It's just learning how and when to use it. And so there'll be situations that we'll go into, and I'll say, look, I, the Holy Spirit's prompting me. I have to be quiet in this. He's like, oh, brother. You know, and so he, we'll literally go round and round, and he'll coach me going into certain situations to help me to just be quiet because it's not the norm for me. The norm for me is I'm going to come in, and link arms with you and help you fix it. And sometimes that's not what the other person needs or the situation requires. And so I have to then tone down my excitement and tone down my personality. The couple things about personalities. One, how do you how do you know what personality maybe your spouse or someone that you're interacting with has? We'll take a look at some of the people in the Bible about this. But it's the task-driven versus people-driven. Is the person that you're interacting with is your spouse or the person that you're in a relationship with or the person you're interacting with, are they task-oriented? Do they always have the task list? That's me. I have to make people a task. In order to survive life and people, they have to be on my task list. Otherwise, I'll forget about them because I don't like people. So, sorry. No offense. I know that sounds bad, but I just, I'm not a, that's my default, right? It doesn't mean that it's, it's good or bad. That's just my default. I don't like being around. You know, I get my energy comes from and I feel energized by being by myself and reading or being alone, walking, things like that. Um, so I have to learn that people are important, right? I have to learn that interacting with people is important. And so for, you know, thank you for everybody who is so gracious and forgiving to me all the time. If, I, if you feel like I'm not so social with you, it's not that I'm being rude. It's just I'm overcoming, you know, I'm constantly overcoming. But um, so is, is it task people or, or people oriented? Great Bible example of this is Mary and Martha. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? <laughs> what was poor Martha doing? She was like, we got to get the meal ready. We got to get the house ready. We got to get, I, I see Martha. I mean, that's, that is me all the way. If someone's coming over, we're having a guest. The house has to be cleaned. The dog has to be bathed. The kids have to be bathed. The dishes have to be done. The laundry has to, the house has to be decorated, clean, and you know, everything has to be absolutely perfect before the person walks into the house. Heather on the other side, she's just like, somebody's coming over. Open the door. <laughs> right. Let's have a party. <laughs> no, you know, so, so there's potential conflict there, right? Um, so you see Mary and Martha in that. And 
What, what was Jesus' words to, to Martha? Martha, Mary has chosen the better. Is it sometimes, was it saying that what Martha was doing was wrong? No. Jesus never admonished Martha for what she was doing and saying that it was wrong. It just said that what Mary has chosen is better. In this moment, you have me. I'm here, sitting right in front of you. And so for those of us that are very task-oriented, we have to remember that, that we have to be aware of the moment. Be, be in the present. Jesus is with you, or that person is with you right in the moment. Don't miss the moment. But at the other side of that, all of the Marys in the room, you can't forget that there's a lot of other stuff that has to happen before Jesus gets there, right? Before the guest gets there, there's things that have to be put in order and put into place. And then you have, so there's, there's task or people, and then you have fast and slow paced. Um, so I hear the chuckles. Wives, do not elbow your husbands because you say they're slow as Christmas right now, okay? There, there are actually, it's part of the personality, is that there are people who are more fast-paced or more slow-paced. And, and that's, that's part of that behavioral style. It's part of, it's ingrained in the DNA. And so uh, we see Peter in Scripture who is clearly very fast-paced. I mean, he's the one out of the boat. He's the one talking on the day of Pentecost. He's out there. He's moving. He's rocking and rolling, right? And then you have... Um, the other elements of this, which is the guarded or open. Is someone guarded or are they open? Are they, they, do they tell you everything they know and how they feel? You know, there's, uh, you know, there's people in the room who, before you ever leave today, you'll know their life story. Like, they'll tell you out in the foyer before you leave everything that's going on in their life. And then there's other people in the room who would rather just leave. They don't want to talk. And that's, that's all the different styles of, of how God's made us. So we look at that and we say, wow, what a masterpiece. We don't look at it and, and get in fights and arguments and you know, contention over how we're made. We recognize, hey, this is how that person's made. They're displaying the goodness of God in that. How do I adapt? How do I change to love them where they're at? So an example for this and you know, loving someone and putting yourself in their shoes um, Zach's going to be very detail-oriented, whereas I'm not going to be quite as detail-oriented. And so what that looks like for us as a married couple in ministry together is that we'll come in in a service, and he will notice every light bulb that is out. He will notice the... Already s- did. Yep. Every sound issue. Every Just did. Usher that's not in place, every plate that's not in place, every offering envelope, every single thing that is off, he will notice. And I'm going to, and he's going to, you know, tell me, because that's Part of my job, my role here is to have things in order. And he'll tell me, and I'll send myself an email or do my notes list. And then he'll keep telling me, and I'll be like, okay, just worship. Okay, just enter in. And, but, but what I had to realize as his wife and the difference in personalities and putting myself in his shoes is that he can't enter in because of his personality type. It, it stresses him. So putting myself in his shoes is I want to make sure that all those things are taken care of before he can notice them. Does that make any sense? And it all has to do with someone else's personality where he's going to recognize that when it's my service or I'm the one ministering, that I'm going to come in and I don't care about any of that stuff. Y'all better all figure it out for me because I'm coming lay at Jesus' feet. And so he's going to make sure that nothing gets in my way and all I can do is get, get on my face and worship. And on the flip side of that, so I recognize that that's my tendency. Like, I'm going to notice every, like, right now I notice the sound difference. You know, I, I, I catch all of that, right? The detail. But and All of our staff said, amen. <laughs> but I have to learn Jesus is more important, you know. The, the people are more important than all those little details. So anyway, it's important to catch those things. So how do you do this? How do you, how do you practically live this out? How do you do this? Number one, consider others. This is what Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility, do you catch this? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is 
yours in Christ Jesus. Now, what is the mind? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but what is the mind that Christ, you know, what does that mean? Christ emptied himself. He, he, he laid aside the, the glories and the splendor of heaven came and became a man for you and I. So what does it mean for you and I? It means that we need to not, one, uh, approach others with pride and conceit, that we need to empty ourselves, humble ourselves, and count others more significant than ourselves. How do you do that? You have to, one, you have to love yourself. You know, it goes back to what we said earlier. You have to have a love of yourself, a healthy love, not an arrogant or prideful love, but to recognize, hey, I'm good. I can, I can put my, uh, example I use a lot is I can put my emotions in a Tupperware bowl, put the lid on it, stick it on the shelf, and, and understand the other person and, and seek to understand them and, and learn what, what are they seeing in this? What are they hearing in this? And be Christ. That's really what being Christ is all about in that moment is what is my, so why is my wife or why is my husband arguing with me right now? Why are, why are we having this contention right now? And being able to put your feelings on the, on the shelf to really uh, be Christ in that moment. So humble yourselves. Co- count others more significant. And it says, not motivated by self-gain or pride. We see that in that verse. Uh-oh. Not motivated by self-gain. We, what can I get out of this? All of us have our own expectations. When you are in, matter of fact, James, 4 is a, uh, James 3 and 4 are great, great passages of Scripture on relationships. But James says, where do fights and wars and quarrels, where does it all come from? He says, you want and you don't have, and so you fight and you quarrel and you murder. It, it keeps going. If you read that passage, it just keeps going and it gets really ugly. And that's what happens in our relationships with other people is we have this expectation. We have something that we want, and when we don't get it, y'all are getting really quiet on me this morning. When, when we don't get what we want, how we want it, when we want it, we fight and we quarrel and there's contention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't look at me like you're so spiritual. You know what I'm talking about. And so what happens in Philippians 2 is we put on Christ. We lay aside. We put aside our expectations, our desires. We put it aside and say, nope, what I want is important. But this relationship is more important. It doesn't mean that, that your emotions, your feelings, who you are, what you expect, what you need, doesn't mean that it's not important. It just means that you're putting it in the Tupperware bowl, putting the lid on and putting it on the shelf, and you're going to revisit it in an appropriate time. But right now, the main thing is being Christ in the moment. And being Christ in the moment is putting the other person first. What would happen in our marriages and our families and relationships if we just paused to put the other person first? Right? Okay. So let's keep going. It says, look to the interest of others also. So one of the stories I think about from our lives in this is Zoe. Zoe is... um, She's daddy's little princess. You know, from day one, she had, you know, daddy wrapped around her fingers from, you know, from moment go. But she is, she can't be rushed. She is, she is princess in every sense of the word, if you know what I mean. <laughs> she cannot, she, she does not want to be rushed. She has to be early. She's like dad. She's very task-oriented. If you get her into a situation where she's... Um, She's not people-oriented, and so if you get her into a situation where it's a lot of people and a lot of change and things happening quick, she tends to escalate. You know, she, Emotionally, she has a hard time with that. And so one of the things that Heather does very intentionally is with dance. She loves to dance. Zoe is a dancer. She does great. She does jazz and acro and all these things, and it's awesome. She does a great job with it, but she can't be late to dance. She can't be on time, and she can't be late. If she shows up on time or late, she freaks out because that's just how she's wired, and so Heather is very intentional 
and knows the schedule and, and helps her get to where she needs to be just a little early. Now, it means that there's sacrifices that has to be made on Heather's part. Like there's things that have to change in Heather's schedule or our schedule. Things have to look a little bit different. But it's a very practical example of things that have to change. You, you lay down your own interest for the interest of others. You say, well, that's your kid. I'm sure you have other stories, but, but yeah, we do that for those that we love, right? And so one of the things, um, an example with Zach and I, you know, adults, ha- looking um, to put others above ourselves, their interest above ourselves, is um, those of y'all that know me know I love to exercise, I love to run. And so um, from day one, you know, I think I, my, Zoe's first 5K, she was, um, I was nine months pregnant. It was two weeks before we delivered, and her first run was two weeks after we delivered, and so we've always been on the running trails together. And at some point, Zach, um, Zach does not care to run, right? And at some point, he was like, y'all are always on the trail, especially when we came here, because I would just go until I couldn't go anymore, literally. And so we'd be gone for hours. And so what do you think I said? Come with us. Come with us. No. And so after a while, he, he really wanted to just spend time with us. I like walking. Running's not my thing. Yep. And if you know me, I don't want to walk because I'm wasting time and I could be burning more calories and increasing muscle mass. And so it just doesn't jive. So he has to know my mindset. I have to know his. And so he decides he wants to come with me, but his feet always hurt. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a shoe problem. Let's go get you a really good pair of running shoes. So we go. I love new shoes. That sounds great. So off we go to the running shoe store, and we get him a pair of really good running shoes that we think fit his feet properly. The guy told us they would. Yeah. So we go on the trail, and if you know me, if you, anybody's worked out with me or we go running together, we do the races, y'all know, like, you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing, let's get our workout in. Okay, but we're going on a couple date with the baby on the trail. So I'm, gonna, I'm like, I'm going to put Zach first, just shut up, Heather, do not complain. Do not, it doesn't matter if you run, just be with your husband. We get on the trail, and we're there. And then I'm like, okay, let's run. You ready to run now? You ready to run? No, I just want to walk. Do not pressure me to run. Let's run. Can we run? And so I'm having to try to calm myself down to let's just walk. And he's trying to put me first and say, well, let's just jog a little. But when I say stop, we stop. So we're, we're going back and forth kind of doing it. And, y'all, his feet start killing him. The shoes didn't work. And he is miserable. And the whole thing I'm thinking in the back of my head was, I could be burning more calories. I I, I don't have any burn. And he's like, but at least I'm out here with her. My feet hurt. And so I was constantly having to try to put him first that day and and where he was coming from. But he still, on the flip side, kept trying to put me first and say, okay, let's run again. My feet are killing me. Can we stop? But okay, we'll keep going. (laughs) So it was a hilarious day that both of us, I don't know if we've been running together since. No, because I don't have any good running shoes. (laughs) So we got to go shoe shopping again, Mike. But it was a precious, but for us as a couple, it was a precious day of us trying to put each other first for what what the other one needed. And it might have been a big fail and a big flop, but we still came out that day closer than what we started that day. Right. And I think that's an important thing is when you recognize things are different, you have a different perspective, different way of doing things, it's okay. Make the most of it. Instead of fighting about it, recognize the strength. What, well, how would you handle this? How would you fix this? What would you do in this situation? And then find, find a compromise, find the middle ground. And, uh, you know, it's so funny. She was talking about some of the, our beginning relationship issues. <laughs> One of those some of that tension in the beginning of our relationship, a lot of that tension, spilled out in the work environment, which happened to be a church environment. And I'll never forget that, um, you know, Pastor Paris told her at one point, many of you know, you know, the Baileys, told her, you just need to shut up and be quiet. Who cares if he does it different? Just keep your mouth shut. Let him do it the way he wants to do it, and you'll figure it out. And um, For four months, four months. Four. <laughs> I didn't disagree with anything. And, and part of our role, which we've already said, was I was his superior at the workplace in one area. And so even in that area, I did not disagree. 
And uh, whether it was in the ministry, whether it was at work, or whether it was in our relationship, I just didn't disagree for four months. And that was the best thing she could have ever told me because I learned to see through his eyes. It didn't matter how he got there. It was totally different than the way that I would go about it, but he still got to the same place. Hmm. John 15, 13. Secondly, John 15, 13 is a great example of love. It says, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So what does it mean to love deeply? It means that you're willing to lay down your life. Now, we, t- we think about that scripture, and we think about it in the context that Jesus went to the cross, right? So we think that Christ laid down his life, and we have to lay down our life. But it also looks very practical in laying down your life for the person that you're in a relationship with, your spouse, the person you're interacting with. Lay it down. What do you need to lay down? What are, Heather, why don't you talk about that? What do well, you need to lay down? <laughs> Zach and I, um, for those of y'all who don't know, so we were both in ministry before we met. And we both have very... Um, very strong callings, very similar callings. Obviously, they've merged. Um, but in the beginning, they looked very different. And so one of the things, um, as we kept approaching the wedding date, was recognizing and realizing how much would change and shift as we became one. And uh, the pastors of church, they were all super excited about it. Um, we were super excited about it. You know, I had had a vision before we even met Zach that, and knew that we would not fulfill the call of God on our individual lives because it wasn't possible to do alone. We had to do it together. So, you know, single, naive, you're super excited about it. Well, then we get married. Everything changed. So, um, you know, I was, I think, I was 30, 31 when we got married. And um, I had been pastoring for a while. I, you know, uh, I think at one point in time I was preaching like nine times a week all over the city. You know, just a a lot of uh, forefront in ministry. And we get married, and all of a sudden, we come back from our honeymoon, and within one hour, our uh, callings begin to shift. And we become campus pastors together. We become associate pastors together. And our roles begin to change. And so a couple months in, you know, one of our pastors pulls pulls me in, and she's talking about life and marriage and ministry, and says, well, how are you handling this? I'm like, what do you mean, how am I handling it? Well you kind of don't have the same role in ministry anymore. You're no longer in the front, and you're in the back. And really, it was a shift of recognizing that our call together would not look anything like our call individually. And as much as mine shifted, his shifted. Um, but it, was, it wasn't that I was um, giving up my identity. I knew who I was in Christ. I know who I am in Christ. But I was allowing... Um, what I did to ebb and flow with who we were becoming together. And it was no longer about me, me, me. It was about us, us together. And so that identity or that, that, um, that role began to, to shift, and I found myself completely in the back. Um, you know, before we got married, I was leading mission teams all over the world once or twice a year, every time. His first trip was when he proposed at the Eiffel. And next thing you know, I'm not traveling anymore. He's doing all the traveling. I'm not in the forefront preaching. He's in the forefront preaching. And found myself having to be his biggest cheerleader and realizing that we still did it together. It just looked different on my part. She said something that was really powerful there. And I think when we talk about laying it down, laying your life down, it's about the ebb and the flow. It's, it's being... It's not being rigid. It's being able to be adaptable and flexible in this situation. And being able to say, hey, this is what I really want to see happen in this situation. But laying it down and saying, it's okay if it doesn't. You know, when we start having babies, life changed again. You know, you get married, life and ministry, all the changes, different season, different time of life. And then you start having babies, different time of life. And then, you know, some of you in the room are having grandbabies, different season change. All the kids are out of the house, grand. Season change again, empty nest. You know, it's all these things. And we go through season changes, and we want everything to look just like it did yesterday. Well, that's impossible because everything's always changing. So you can't go into the relationship today or tomorrow expecting how it looked yesterday. It's going to look different. And part of learning to love deeply is learning to embrace the ebb and the flow, to, to lay down the rigidity and say, okay, 
it doesn't have to be exactly how I want it to look. It doesn't have to be exactly what I want. We'll find a compromise. We'll work together. But being able to be flexible together and, and flowing together. And it doesn't, it doesn't always look pretty. You know, Not I remember at all. the first time that um, Zach and I were doing a young adult retreat together. Oh, my goodness. You have to remember, I was the young adult pastor. That's a memory. So I was having him come as my guest, right? My guest ministered. We talk about interesting beginning to our relationship. And so we're, we're ministering together, and it's his service. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a really good word. That's awesome. Okay, his style's a little different. But, wow, it's a great word. And then ministry time happens, and I'm like, who are you and what are you doing? And I hated how he was ministering. I, I found myself all of a sudden in the flesh. I mean, I was done. I was like, what is he doing? It was clear. He's driving me nuts. And all of a sudden, I didn't trust him, you know, at the altar with our people. And I'm like, what is wrong with him? And so I'm there following him, similar to what I do today, but I was with a bad attitude. And then I get nailed by the Holy Ghost. She's and not I on am, the platform somewhere. I'm on the platform out. And I can't get up. And in my mind, I'm saying, I got to get up and stop him. I got to stop this I was, I was saying, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and the fun, so I, I'm on the floor, and I'm completely annihilated in the power of God. And the funny thing was, is that day, as aggravated as I was at him, that day the Lord gave me a vision of our wedding, our wedding colors, the dresses, what they were to look like, and who all was going to be in our wedding on both sides. And we hadn't even talked about wedding yet. And I'm like, I'm going to marry the guy that annoys me the most. <laughs> so it doesn't always have to look pretty, but I got up off the floor recognizing that I had a heart issue, that, he, that God was using his personality and, and his style to rub me the wrong way to pull out the yuck in me. And the funny thing is now I love ministering with him. It's fun. It's awesome. Sometimes I got to laugh. But, but it's fun. And so I had to, once again, learn how to lay down and put on the eyes of Christ when looking at the differences between him and I. Yeah. <laughs> Number three. I'm just, I'm taking it all in. We, we talk, but, you know, we talk about the, the messages, but I, I didn't know that story was coming out. So I'm taking it all in myself. Number, <laughs> number three, demonstrate empathy. How do you love deeply demonstrating empathy? This is what Galatians says, bear one another's burdens. And in this, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. In James, it talks about the royal law. And it says that the royal law is to love one another. To love as Christ loves. So this royal law, when you see the law of Christ or the royal law, what is scripture talking about? Love deeply. So how do we do that? Bear one another's burden. Show empathy. What does that mean? It means to understand and to, to be able to uh, share the feelings of someone else. So you're understanding someone's feelings, but being able to not just understand them, but to share them. And, and understanding and sharing them doesn't mean that you necessarily agree or get where they're coming from. You know, I, when Zach and I first met, you know, he had moved from Illinois, you know, uh, cornfields. It was cornfields, not potatoes. I had to, you saw how slow I said that, yeah, right? Making yeah, sure everybody I got in New right. Orleans always said potato head. And I'm like, I'm not from Iowa. Idaho, <laughs> Idaho whatever. Oh, Idaho, see? yeah, that too. Thank you. Yeah, wherever. See, they got me confused. So you move from the cornfields to New Orleans city life, right? And, you know, you get the, the um, introvert coming into New Orleans land. And as a whole different world. And then he came <laughs> to work for one ministry. That ministry was not what it was was played out to be, and it, he had to leave that job rather quickly, and that ministry um, helped him to find an apartment, which was like four times the amount of what a normal single guy would have been Yeah, that was paying. rough. And so it was just crazy They knew time. what I was going to be making, and they found the Right, they <laughs> the knew what he was going to be making apartment. and found the most expensive <laughs> anyway. apartment for him. And so then he's, he, he finds himself um, taking a job in ministry with even less pay, and having to sell everything in his apartment, and he's going to run a guy's home, and it was just crazy. And he wake was, up in the morning with roaches crawling on me and bed bugs on me, and I got stories for days. We had we had roaches living in our microwave. I got stories for days. Anyway, gross. And if y'all know Zach, that is not him. Details not good. So he's ready to move back. He can't stand it. And he's emotional about it. And here you go. Here I am with my personality. I'm like, what was the last thing the Lord said? 
moved to New Orleans. So what's the, what's the problem? I have roaches crawling on my arm in the morning. So I had to find myself understanding where he was coming from and begin to bear the burden with him. And, and in my head, the whole time, I'm like, yeah, but God spoke, so why are you whining? But it wasn't. It's his personality type, the details, the process. He was going through the entire process mentally and emotionally about where God brought him from, where he was bringing him through, and where he was going to. And that was, and we had only known each other less than six months at that point, um, but having to learn to put on someone else's burdens and walk it with him with empathy and not judging. And there were times where I was like, can we stop talking about how miserable you are? No, Heather. No, Heather. He's miserable and learning to put him first. Yep. The, the another just quick, st- <laughs> there's a lot of stories around that, that whole situation. But, but one of the others more recent was when Heather had her thyroid situation. When you, many of you remember, we went through that from uh, day one of our, uh, of our marriage. She had had nodules in her thyroid, and we had been to the doctor together. You know, that was all part of it, and they, there was no big deal. Everything was okay. And then we get here, and she had Jonathan, and when she had Jonathan, the thyroid blew up, like, I saw pictures of it after it came out. It was, ma- you know, this massive baking like potato. Like two big baking potatoes in yeah, my neck. Yeah, it was neck. massive. And so there was a lot of things that went on in that, that time frame of dealing with thyroid and all the emotions and all the things that were going on associated. You know, the thyroid affects everything. And so it's not always easy, right? But we, we are understanding in those, in those circumstances. So fourthly, how do we show deep love? How do we understand these personalities? Is to seek understanding, not to be right. A lot of times when we get into conflicts and we butt heads, we want to prove our point. We want to, we want to be understood versus seeking understanding. Here's what Proverbs 18.2 says. It says, a fool has no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Anybody else say ouch when they read that? <laughs> that I mean, that, that is like the word of God, two-edged sword. Oh, yeah, I felt that. A fool has no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. So how to, how to demonstrate wisdom is to seek understanding. What did you mean by that? What do you mean by what you're saying? If you don't understand, press pause. What do you mean by that? And, you know, what... One of the uh, things I always default to is if I'm not if I'm not sure I'm hearing correctly, I'll say what I think you're saying or what I hear you saying is, and repeat it back to give that feedback to make sure that I'm processing. Um, so it's important to uh, to do that to take time to seek the understanding. Proverbs three thirteen says, "Happy is the man, blessed is the man." who finds wisdom in the man who gains understanding. So there's a blessing, there's happiness, there's delight when you seek understanding. If you're just trying to express your own opinion, it's just leading to more tension and more fighting and more disagreement and, and, and no one's really understanding what the other person is saying, right? So one of the examples that we um, have for this is um, relationally, it's outside of marriage. So um, for those of y'all who don't know, I was in the business world before getting called into ministry. And so um, I found myself in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I was, I think, 21 years old. And I was running the number one store across the country and was very successful. And then God tells me I didn't create you for this. And so I find myself in New Orleans on a five-team management crew. And I was not the number one because he told me he didn't create me for it. And so, you know, how many of you know, to be number one in the country, I was, I mean, I had systems. I had, I knew how to make a business run. And um, so I go into work one day and it was the store changing day. It was like, you know, the first of the month and it looked like a bomb went off. And I was like, what is wrong with these people? Don't they know the process to get this done? And so I go to work and I have the most horrible day because it looks like a bomb went off and their process is broken. Well, before they left for their shift, it was all completely in order. And I was like, hmm, maybe she does know what she's doing. And what I began to learn about that, that her is that she pretty much was ADD. It was all over the place all the time. But she always got it accomplished. And it was always beautiful, whatever she was working on. 
And then I found myself working with the redhead who was hot-headed, not a people person, hot-headed, but she could do visual displays like nobody's business. And then you have me, who I am, people-oriented. I get people. I know people. I understand people. I love people. I merge with people. I help people. And so, and I'm a little bit visually impaired, right, Pastor Grace? And so I was like, wow, we have, we can use each other's gifts together. And then you had precious little Holly, who we were, you know, she was the youngest member of the team. We were training her up and um, she was more detail oriented than Zach. And, and, and I was, hey, hey, <laughs> right. And I was communications and HR. So I had to have everything memorized for all the books and I graded all the stores. And she even quirked my button. Because I was like, oh, my goodness. She noticed if I didn't have the, the, the hangers at 90-degree angles and a quarter of an inch apart on every single thing, then why I walked past it and didn't stop. But she made me better. And I learned to value her detailedness. I learned to value the redhead. And I learned to value my ADD manager. because they And they, in turn, learned to value me. And we all began to put aside our differences and pull off of one another's strengths. And that, that, that taught me the great lesson of coming in to our relationship and realizing that Zach and I are both always 100% correct. Absolutely. Both of us will prove our point every time, all the time. But we just have to, one of us decide to yield to the other because we'll get there, we'll get there completely different ways, but we'll both have the same outcome. And that's what working with those five ladies taught me. And usually that's the case, right? You find yourself in relationships, especially, you know, husbands, wives, you're, you're saying things pinkier, you know, it's like women are speaking pink and men are speaking blue, you know, that, that analogy. And so you're, you're really saying the same thing. It's just the other side of the coin. It's a different perspective. It's, it's a different way of processing. And so if you just take a moment to seek understanding versus being right You'll, you'll learn that, oh, maybe, maybe you're addressing the same thing. It's just different perspective, a different lens. Does that make sense? So, so there's, there's benefit to seek understanding of how the other person's operating or functioning. So everybody has a, has a different way of processing. Um, we all have different personalities. We show up in life differently. We have different perspectives on things, different behaviors on how we address things. But that's how God created us. That, that blueprint on the inside of you is given by God. And, and instead of fighting with the other person about it, learn to embrace the difference. Learn to embrace the strengths and begin to grow together. I want to challenge you. I'm going to ask our worship team to go ahead and come back um, as, we, as we finish. And thanks for joining us in our living room this morning. Um, and, I, and I hope this is really helpful for you. And... Uh, Thanks for, thanks for listening to our stories. Why don't you stand with me if you can? Um, it's funny because as we were going through thinking about our experiences in, in life, hopefully maybe they've generated some stories of your own. <laughs> maybe you're facing some similar situations even in your own life, or maybe you're, you're recognizing differences in your spouse in the moment. You know, maybe you're recognizing something that you're seeing in someone else. And I, I want, here's what I want to challenge you to do today. We're, we're going to close. We're going to pray together. Um, but I want to I issue a challenge for you. I think we've heard, we've, we've heard the word of God We've heard what scripture says about it. We've talked about putting on Christ. You've seen it a little bit different. It's not been the, you know, the preaching message like we normally would have, or, you know, it's not the normal service, but, but you've heard Christ and you've heard the word of God presented a little bit differently. What I want to challenge you to is this. I want you to recognize this week, between now and Sunday, I want you to recognize two or three strengths about someone that you're interacting with. It could be your spouse. That's a great place to start if you're not married. It could be someone that you work with or maybe a parent or whatever. Just recognize their strengths. A lot of times we get focused on what everybody does wrong. We recognize what they're not doing 
real quick. We recognize their weaknesses real quick. But I want to challenge you to recognize their strengths this week. Recognize what they do well. If they're very driven personality and take charge, recognize the strengths in that. If they're, if they're a bubbly people person interacting fast pace all over, listen, it's real easy with those people to get frustrated because they never finish anything. They start a whole lot of bunch of stuff, but they never finish anything because they're always talking to everybody else about what they're doing and they never do it, right? So you can find the weakness in that or you can say, hey, you're really inspiring to me because you like people and I don't. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the strength. This, Heather likes people. I don't like people, you know? So uh, we recognize that and recognize that strength. She does really well with people. So take this week and recognize the strengths, two to three, and share those with the person. I would venture to say that you're probably really, probably really good and have done a really great job of vocalizing what they don't do. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> right? You've probably really done a really good job of telling them what they don't do well. You're aware of it, and I assure you, they're probably very aware of it. Because how many of you know, we're, we're really hard on ourselves oftentimes. We, we're really quick to recognize a lot. Not always. Not always. That pride creeps in. But, but most of the time, we're really good at, at recognizing where we fall short. So take time to recognize what they're doing right what they're doing well and tell them about it. Maybe write your husband or your wife a note card this week and leave it somewhere where they'll find it. And just say, I love how you fill in the gap. When Heather and I first got married, I'll wrap up with this story. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. See how she is? She's just that driven personality. She wants me to... She wants me to tell the story and be done three minutes ago. So I had a really hard time communicating love and affection when we first started uh, in our relationship when we first got married. Matter of fact, when we first got married, in order for me to tell her that I loved her, I actually had to record it on a recording device and leave it with a stuffed animal outside her front door so she could hear me actually say, I love you. And he only did that after I told him I didn't want to talk to him for the whole weekend and don't contact me for any reason whatsoever. I don't like you. So, so needless to say, I had things to work through, you know? And so one of the ways that we overcame that is we created, I went to the uh, like world market and got like a really nice uh, round jar thing and wrote out 30 or 31 things that I liked about Heather on little slips of paper, folded them and put them in the jar. So every day she could pull one out and she still has it. So every day she could, that was, that's 10 years ago. And, and yeah, she could pull one of those out. And remember, we should pull that out. Uh, <laughs> so try it, I promise, it'll help. So just take that challenge, find creative ways to tell that person, their strengths. Do something out of the box. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you loved us so much. Lord God, your, your love covers a multitude of sin. In Christ, we find this amazing love. In Christ, we find this undying, unending love that is pursuing us, chasing after us, that covers, it stretches out and covers a multitude of wrongs. Lord, help us to be people of deep love. Help us, Lord, to be people who understand those around us, that seek to understand, that have empathy and Lord, lay ourselves aside, put our own agendas aside to seek unity and love. Help us, Lord, to, to not be judgmental 
critical, but Lord, to be loving. Father, I pray for our marriages. Lord, I pray that you bless the marriages of our church. Lord, that they will be strengthened over this month. Lord, as we dive into deep love, that the marriages of our church will be strengthened and enriched. Lord, where healing needs to happen, healing will happen. Where reconciliation needs to happen, it'll happen. Lord, where things have been covered or put under the rug and ignored, Father, they'll no longer be ignored, but there'll be healing and restoration. Father, I thank you for your blessing. Bless your people, Lord. Bless at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so wonderful.